Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Last week I called you about Cornelius. Today I want to come back to it because something happened. And I'm going to give you just this quick excerpt. Fear not, you'll get out of here in time to get to Cracker Barrel. Uh, Amanda, could you put up Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, and don't go far unless your leg, that leg goes numb and then you fall over. Okay, just work it or get a stool or something. I need you there. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Let's begin reading quickly. I've got to move through this stuff, okay? Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was the so-called, uh, what was the called, excuse me, the Italian cohort, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. He was not born again. And you'll learn that if you go on to read the remaining part of 10 and into chapter 11. He was not, he just, for whatever reason, touched by the God that the Jews prayed to, not even, quote, Christians, the Jewish people were praying to. The Jewish people were impoverished substantially. And so this Italian centurion, soldier, Roman soldier, took of his own funds and he gave to them. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your, alm, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa. Send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Now, the rest of the story you'll read is that God created a vision moment for Peter and prepared him to respond. This is 11 years after Acts chapter 2 in the upper room. And listen to me. Peter being a good Jewish boy, and, and the consciousness for 11 years is this new covenant was uniquely to the Jews, but not to the Gentiles. And so when they had that vision, uh, clearly God was doing something, and he was calling Peter to sort of break the code and share this gospel with the Gentiles. By the way, and, and you want to read it when you go home. It's an interesting pastor, passage of Scripture because there are people who advance sort of a, an Old Testament or Genesis or Garden of Eden diet or whatever. You need to eat these and nuts and whatever and only kosher stuff. But what happens in this vision that sort of threatens that whole notion is it said God lowered this sheet with all sorts of unclean animals and everything in the world and said, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, no, you know I'm a good Jewish guy. I only do kosher stuff, and, and there's no way I'm going to do that. And he says, don't call what I've created unclean. So he's doing, God is after a bigger picture. He's ultimately prompting Peter to break his protocol and share gospel with the Gentiles it, that it's not just for the Jews. But see, the message he used was this whole dietary thing you think that defines you. I got to tell you that all of this has been pushed aside, that there's a new covenant that's happened by my son, and there's a whole different thing going on. So he really sort of messes with Peter, and Peter ends up making the trip, preaching the gospel to Cornelius, and Cornelius becomes the gatekeeper for all of us in this room, unless you're Jewish and born again. For the Gentiles, Cornelius is the reason we're here today, right here. What did he do? He gave alms. The word alms there comes from the identical root term, eleos, here, eleos as mercy. Remember mercy? Mercy is the force of God refusing to join you in your opinion of you above his opinion. I want to say it again. That's what mercy is. 
Mercy says, I refuse to join you in your opinion of you above my word and my opinion and my, my provisions and promises toward you. Why is that word used here? Because there were people who were living under the judgment of poverty and Cornelius steps up and says, let me give what I can to lift the judgment off of your life. Cornelius was saying, I refuse to accept that state of existence and do nothing about it. That's what mercy does. Mercy, mercy is that force of God that keeps him on the edge of our life that says I'm ever postured to enter and come in and bring to fullness my opinion concerning you if you'll only invite me. I'll change those circumstances. For months we studied the word mercy. Again, you can find that online. But right here it says, I've seen your, I've heard your prayers and seen your alms. In other words, because he gave gifts of mercy is what it means. God says, I'm going to give mercy to you that you never saw coming or couldn't believe. It says it's risen as a memorial. I did not know until this morning and why I've never looked up the term. But this word memorial is used only two other places. And the two other places are the same story in two different gospels. It's in Matthew 26. I'd like for you to read that with me quickly. And we're going to land and tell you, show you a couple of pictures and videos. It says, now, when Jesus was in Bethany, the gospel, if you're new to faith, this is Jesus toward the end of his life, not long before, a matter of fact, just a couple chapters later, he would be crucified, not long after this. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume. She poured it out. She poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus was aware of this and said to them, Why do you bother this woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Now there's a loaded statement there. There's a loaded statement there that at another time we really need to unpack. I have in the past. Watch this. Verse 12, for when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that this, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Right there, that word memory, it's the same word used of Cornelius, that your prayers and alms has risen as a memorial before God. Jesus uses the word here and said what she's done in pouring out the wealth that she has of substance, it will be spoken of as a memorial. Beloved, you want to know one of the things several, probably 10 years ago at Easter, when I was preaching about the cross and teaching, please hear this. Do you realize the smell of this woman's worship went to the cross with Jesus Christ? This was just a day or so before it was very potent and would have lingered on his skin for days. There's just something, there's a lot in that story, and trust me, I preached that with great excitement. There was only one smell on him as he went to this cross, and it was the worship of one nameless, unsuspecting woman who poured out that which was most precious. Now, he says she will be remembered. And here's the deal. When we give in acts of mercy... 
there is something fragrant about it. Two times God associates this and says, there's a memorial that rises before me. Can I tell you this? I want to be in that club. One more thing about mercy. Let me just read it to you real quick from Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 through 13. Then it happened as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, in in another Simon, if I recall correctly. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and and, and his disciples. Tax collectors were just absolutely uh, uh, shunned and eschewed. These guys were horrible in the consciousness of the Jewish people. They were sellouts to the Roman culture and taxation. And uh, that's, this particular tax collector was Matthew, whose name is born on the book gospel we're reading. That's an amazing notion, isn't it? When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Now watch verse 13, because this was a tongue-in-cheek insult in rabbinical language. When he says, but go and learn, because they fancied themselves as the learned. But Jesus said, boys, you need to go back to school and learn. You need to learn this. And he quotes a passage from Isaiah. You see the word compassion up here? That's the same word, eleos, for mercy. Watch this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now watch. Can I break this down in this passage? How did that relate? Why would he say that about the tax collector? Amanda, please leave that on the screen. Why would he say it? This tax collector came in, and there was a prevailing opinion about him which stood in Jewish consciousness. It would have not only been shared by those with whom he was having dinner, but it would have been shared with his disciples even as well. They would have looked at this guy and said, my opinion concerning him is he's a crud ball. But what happens when God has another opinion? See, the word sacrifice here is sort of a container word that's used to represent sort of the entire Jewish and Old Covenant worship system. So what he's saying here is, I desire, that's God. How many know if you're looking for something, finding out what God desires, and the word's only used a few times in Scripture? It's a foreign term to even use in association with God who needs nothing. But God uses that term to, to represent an age. God's saying, I desire mercy and not a refined worship system that's devoid of the possibilities that I see. Mercy. Let's break it down. I desire, because this in Hosea was spoken as instruction to his priests and leaders. It was an indictment against them because they were ripping people off. And he says, here's how I work. I desire my leaders, my people who will walk with my message to be a people who look beyond the prevailing opinions and circumstances and realities. Remember the word sinner there? Remember I told you earlier what sinners are? Sinners are people like you and me who have moments or or live a life living by another opinion other than God's. And so Jesus in this moment says, I desire my people, my leaders, those who are going to influence, those who are going to speak on my half will be people that step up and say, I see the prevailing opinion you're living by. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I didn't plan to say it, but I need to say it because I talk about, I probably talk about publicly the the issue of same-sex relationships and homosexuality in Scripture probably more than any other pastor. 
that I know. And I'm not saying it to wave a flag, nor am I waving it to beat anybody up. That's just not how I'm wired. And if you've been here, you know that. But just two or three months ago, standing right over here, once again, um, uh, and, and, and you would have no idea what I'm talking about, but just at the end of a, a worship service, a gay couple who had been coming walked right here and, and said, we just feel such love at this church, and I said, praise God. Praise God. And as they stood together, they said, you know, Pastor, we just love the way you, you teach and reach to people and, and, and just accept them. And I said, praise God. I'm glad you feel that because that love is genuine, and boy, I'm so glad you guys are here. And they said, well... We'd like to know if you'd be willing to perform our marriage ceremony. I said, now listen, I need to tell you something. I said, I'm old enough to be your father, so first of all, before I say it, I want you to feel the sincerity of a genuine hug. So we haven't gotten to do that, so I hugged one, and they hugged me back. And matter of fact, the two of them sort of just grabbed me together, and I hugged them. I said, now listen. I said, uh... I need to tell you, because what you sense here in this church is a result of an authentic pursuit of the Word of God and an encounter with the presence of God. And I said, I don't believe that the fullness of what God intended for you can be found by living out and giving expression to a same-sex relationship or living in, in homosexuality. I don't believe the identity that God stamped and placed the image of God, what Scripture says in keeping with that is consistent with the wholeness that God would have defined. And, and they did what you might expect, because I've had this conversation more times than I can count. They recoiled a little bit, and I noticed their body language, and I didn't wait. I said, don't pull back. All the words I said previously and what you felt here is true. There's a love of God. All of us are making our way to God progressively. I don't want you to quit coming here. I said, I want you to come back and, and, and worship. They didn't keep coming a lot longer. They, they texted me. I got there and gave them my phone number. I had mine. And they texted me and said, we, we found another church that really supports our view. They were gracious. And I said, I said, okay, I want you to know I'll be praying for you, and we're here anytime. But here's the part of the conversation that happens each time. They said, why, why are you judging us? And I said, oh, wait, wait, wait. So let me tell you about James chapter 2. There's a great verses 1 through 12 there until you get to chapter 13, or verse 13, and it makes this statement. It says, mercy triumphs over judgment. I said, can I tell you my conviction? And, I, and please notice the body language was not snarky, cocky, condescending. I don't, just don't do that. You can't do that. But I looked at him and I said, the core value I hold is that you're standing in a judgment about yourself. I'm not judging you. You've already accepted one. I'm here to say to you what mercy does. I refuse to join you in a judgment that will put you in a position that I think Scripture says is less than the wholeness God intended for you. At the end of the day, I might be wrong. I don't think I am, but being wrong or right is not my primary concern unhiding people and, and unhiding God before people is my primary concern. I have no doubt when I get to heaven that I'll become instantly aware that there are points of theology that I missed. I don't think this is one of them, but if it is, I want you to know that new hope acts out of mercy, not judgment. We are not here to strengthen the chains of brokenness that hold people when they walk in. 
we are here to stand and say, I refuse to be a part of strengthening the bondage that holds you or the judgment that defines you, whatever that might be, whether it's fear, brokenness, being hurt, you felt oppressed, beaten down, or small or timid in this world, the power of us happens here. For God has not given us a Holy Spirit of smallness or timidity, but one of power and love and a sound mind, one full of mercy that breaks the chains of judgment, that liberates the human soul, brings them face to face, running into that throne room we sang about boldly and receiving the full grace and mercy that God has declared for us. That's how we roll here. I talk about this every so often. Why? Because it's a predominant issue in culture. I've gotten to, to, to hang out with the youth for the last nearly couple of years, and one of the early questions asked, it says, why are Christians haters? Why do they hate gay people? And I said, oh, it was a young lady asked me, I said, sweetheart, that's not true at all. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, see, I took that aside that's not part of this, and now we've gone too long. But uh, I needed to say that this morning. But here's the deal. Let me tell you about mercy. I, I'm about to tell you a little, I'm going to talk quick. I know we're, we're long here. We're already, we're already longer than we go, typically. But I believe in the Cornelius factor. I believe when we open our hand to, to try and change the judgment on a life, God opens his hand back in ways you can't ever see coming. We talked about that last week. But I've just read the scripture to you. Go home and read Acts 10 and 11. It's great. I didn't pick up on something that happened because in, I, I told you last Sunday, and I was, we were back there on Monday and stayed through Friday, drive all the way back. We took a, a couple thousand pounds of, of food generators, some, some little small air conditioners, and, and just all sorts of stuff we took to the island, flew it over on the DC-3 and got it there. Um, when we got there, I met with... Um, uh, I immediately had opportunity to meet with two members of the sort of island council, and I said, hey, our church is, is, is pursuing purchasing this little tractor and a dump trailer, and they said, you know, Pastor Tom, Samaritan's Purse has come in. I love Samaritan's Purse. They're awesome. Now, they have like, I'll just say it this way, they have Billy Graham influence. So the stuff they come with is crazy. I mean crazy. They said they're bringing a barge load of equipment and leaving it here. To, so we, we really don't need another tractor with a trailer. So come on, let's do that right there. Okay, so here's what came out of my mouth. It just blurted out and was a bit scary for me. And I said, uh, I said, well, rats. I said, we just, as our church just wanted to sort of be part of lifting the burden, I said, okay, okay. Both of them, I said, you told me that there were four widows here, that one or, one or two have lost their home entirely, the other two homes are damaged. I said, and here's what I said, I said, give me a widow. <laughs> and they said, give you a widow? And of course, one of them is a smart aleck and made some jokes here that I, I did. See, these two guys, I've known since I was 23 when we moved there. And so we're about the same age and they're smarty pants. So I said, and he had a lot of fun with that. Well, that's one of the more odd requests I've ever heard, you know. And I said, give me, I said, you know what I mean. Quit being stupid. I said, give me a widow. And they smiled. And they said, okay. So I kept pressing them. Finally, by Wednesday night, uh, I had another conversation and pressed them even more. Thursday morning, they said, okay, here's your widow. Her name is Jenny Albury. She had, she's 74 years old. Her husband died in 1998. She has two children. 
Their children also live there. Their homes are destroyed. So it's, what are we going to do to help our mom? She doesn't have any insurance. And it's a little 750-square-foot home. Now, roll that video, if you would, real quickly, um, uh, Amanda. And that uh, house of, of Mrs. Jenny Albury, um, about 750 square feet. And it's not a house, as you can see. Uh, the, the hurricane just absolutely blew it away. We have the opportunity to... Um, to help. James chapter 1 says the test of our religion, and if I, I'd like to add maybe the test of our faith, is what we do to those and with those among us in the household of faith in particular that can't help themselves. And in particular, James hits us right in the face with widows and orphans. He says how you handle them, how you respond is the ultimate test of your faith and uh, really what you claim. So we have the chance to be involved in something here that I believe has just an exponential impact. Furthermore, if we have the chance to rebuild this, another thing we value, as you know, is establishing a footprint of hope. And just as quickly as possible to get something going up so that other people around, as you can see in the background here, the, the, the devastation, uh, and this doesn't even begin uh, to tell you what's happened here. So there's a couple of things. Not only do we get to minister a precious uh, Miss Jenny, but uh, hopefully her little home will become an, uh, a lighthouse of hope to others around that says, wow, uh, it's happened there, it's going to happen here. Uh, I can get to the other side of that. That's what, that's what hope does, and that's what I'm hoping we get to be involved in. Um, uh, I, I just, I've run out of words now. I'm looking forward to us doing this together. Love you guys. Precious, precious lady. We've partnered. I've met some brothers. I said, I've known them for a long time, but they were there this week. Um, uh, Rio, Re Restoration International Outreach in Maryville. Pastor Ronnie Hepperly is sort of like the, the bishop over about 10 or 11 Rio churches. They have a Rio name, Rio Advance, Rio this, Rio that. And then the, the lead pastor of the original campus, Pastor Tommy Roberts, they were there this week. And boy, our hearts just bonded. Uh, within really a couple of hours, they had a materialist take off. I sent some other people. We're trying to raise the money there. But for the dry-in on this house, we can do it for about what we were going to pay for that tractor. Now, I know that I'm, I'm coming back and changing. Some of you have already given. And if you'd rather redirect to that something else, your money is all, will always be received in integrity here. And if we tell you it's going towards something, it's going to go towards it. But you're, you're really free to, to redirect that to, to something else if you choose. We've raised about $7,000 and have a, uh, had another $10,000 pledge toward the tractor, which means if we sort of, we're only, if all that remains where it is, we're only about $8,000 away from being able to purchase the dry-in material we ha and, and get it on a container and get it delivered there. Now, uh, Pastor Tommy has pledged, and by the way, I'm going to be looking for a team of about five other guys, uh, five other people, to be able to go the week of the 21st from New Hope. They're going to bring about 12, and we're going to bring six. I'll be one of the six. I'm going to have to go back and forth during the week for a, uh, an event that I, I can't get around. But um, he, he pledges up and down that in four or five days that they can get this house raised, the sidewalls rush, uh, roughed in and dried in. Uh, now, I know I can't lean on any of you guys to come, but when he said that, I thought, in four days, he goes, Absolutely. We'll have a dried in siding on it, roof shingles, this and that. And I can't put any pressure on anybody, but I said, you know, I, I just, 
I just can't really believe that would happen unless you had somebody like Gary Blunt volunteer and come and spend a week there. So I'm not putting any pressure on anybody here to go and be a part of that. But um, anyhow, there's something for you to pray about and think about. Now, (laughs) that was mean, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I love that. Okay, we're done now. We're going to give, and here's what we're going to do. Just keep your eyes open. Father, we're going to give here. Oh, stop. Hey, God, I'll be right back. Okay, watch. Listen, listen. Listen what happened. At 12 o'clock, 11.30, 12 o'clock, I get there, and, and I'm about to tell you something. I don't believe paint on this building is anything of eternal consequence. Do we get that? I don't believe buildings are of eternal consequence. I think there is space, and that's good. So we have a building here. It's great. But we've been here for about 12 years. We've never been able to really paint it and upkeep it because almost since the day we moved in, the housing market crashed. Do you know we moved in here with a $6.5 million mortgage? You want to know what we owe on it right now? Surviving? You want to know what we owe? About $650,000. About $650,000. That... That's a God thing. And I'm so looking because I'm not young. And I realize in the next few years there'll be a transition. And my desire is to hand off a fully functioning campus with no debt on it, with children's space, with remodeled and rebuilt children's space, just fully ready to go so we can hand it to the hands of a next generation of leadership that will not have the encumbrance of a debt or a mortgage on their back. Can anyone shout amen right there? Okay? Imagine, imagine that, okay? So, so we worked on that. But I, get, I walk and say to them, I got out on a limb, and it scared me just a little bit because I said, give me the widow's house. Give, it was just one of those bold things like we sang about. I said, give me the widow's house. And I did that because two days before, I heard this message from Pastor Mark Rutland, and he says, we are just not bold enough. And so it got in me. Give me the widow's house. And they said, okay, you got a widow's house. At 2.37 p.m., Debbie Jackson texted me, and she says, but, and i got to tell you the rest of the story. Forgive me. I know it's late. Come on, hang with me. We have people come in here. The building, the paint, if you look closely, and I'm giving this away, it's terrible. If you look closely when you walk in, just look at the wall and look up, you'll see different things. And you say, well, don't you guys try to take care of it? Yeah, we spray it, pressure wash it. But because the paint has lost its whatever, viscosity or whatever, just mold comes back. And I mean, it's old. It's 20-year, 25-year-old paint. And if you look, we tried to paint some of the places, so it's unique sort of graffiti almost. You know, we got different colors of paint here where we tried to do this and that. Well, someone else noticed it. Now, what we've done in response to that, realizing we don't have the tens of thousands of dollars to do it, we try to create a frontline team that is so overwhelming when newcomers walk in that they won't notice the paint and the holes in the IFAS. And well, they're just going to be so wowed by Matt Matheson standing there with his vest on saying, welcome to New Hope, flash your headlights, all of that. And then Francis Blevins at the front door who will attack you and pray for you, that you'll be distracted fighting her off as she greets you. And won't notice the other things. And uh, Tana does a great job in leading and, and orchestrating that team. That, that, that is wonderful. But guess what happened? Amen. Come on, we can do that. Let's celebrate the power of us. I know I told you I got a lot of stuff to tell you. At 2.37 p.m., they're on that little line. Phone pops up and says, hey, pastor, I got something to tell you. Someone just stopped and anonymously dropped off $40,000 to repaint and repair the outside of the building. Now, that's cool. Why am I clapping? I, I didn't get it for two days until I was saying, two days later on the way home, I'm talking to somebody and I said, and so we said, Lord, uh, give me a widow's home. And I go, oh, I was midstream talking to Drew Gray on the phone. And I go, oh. he goes, what? I said, it just hit me. It was about 60 minutes after I said, give me the widow's home. 
Give me the word also. I do not think paint for a building, a church building, is eternal. But I do think the moments where God steps in in grand fashion and says, I'll take care of all the little things of your life and your house if you'll take care of those houses out there. That's it. Now that's what we need to say. Woo! So I'm going to manipulate you even more than I just did Gary Blunt. This is an offering you want to be in on. This is an offering you want to be in on, okay? So we're about to receive, as you say, well, I don't carry cash or a checkbook, all right? Well, great, you can do it online, you see the giving things, you can write a note and say, I'm pledging this, I'll bring it by, whatever. But I so desperately want to be part of this little makeover thing where suddenly, because it'll be the first thing done back on this island where hundreds of homes are destroyed and it will be a widow's life and her home is gonna go up and it's gonna send a message where people are gonna come around and say, if it can happen for her, it can happen for me. We're gonna be that voice of encouragement that puts life back on course that says hope is still out there and you can get there from here. And that's what new hope is. And that's what we're going to do. Now, we're gonna give right now. You can remain seated. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.